0: Emotions are part of our lives. They make up who we are and how God wired us to live. Emotions can be our
1: greatest strengths when under control or our worst weaknesses when left unchecked. They can limit our potential
0: and even enslave our lives. With God's help, we can master our emotions and learn to live in emotional freedom. It's God's word that helps us to keep calm
1: and get a grip. Good morning, good morning, church family. It's so great to see you this morning. My name is Liban Abraham. For those that I haven't had the chance to meet, I get the great joy of being the campus pastor at our Missouri City campus and what a great moment for our church to continue to reach our city and through our region and the entire world with the good news of Jesus Christ. We've been in a series over the last few weeks looking at how it is that we live free from our emotions, which are wonderful and vivid and make colors or make our life colorful, but also can be limitations. Sometimes the best of us can be the worst of us, and they can hinder us from our progress moving forward relationally, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Man, we've covered some pretty hefty topics the last few weeks, if you think about it. From loneliness to depression, stress, worry. Pastor Mark has just set us off on a great path to the series, and Pastor Richie did a great job a few weeks ago teaching us on worry. This morning, we're going to continue to look at how it is that we live free of our emotions. If you remember January 28th, 1986, the space shuttle Challenger launched from the coast of Florida. But it was quite a tragic day because 73 seconds into its launch, the shuttle broke apart and blew up. Just 73 seconds in, killing all seven of its crew members. What uh, many of you were watching online or watching on TV at that time, if not, you might have heard about it in your school. If you're under like 20, you probably don't have an idea what I'm talking about. Go read Wikipedia or something on it. It was a pretty... Tragic moment for the world as we witnessed this tragedy. But what made this even more devastating is that many say that this moment could have been possibly prevented. Could have been kept from happening. It was freezing weather that morning in Cape Canaveral off the coast of Florida when the shuttle launched. And the O-rings on the shuttle were not designed to operate in freezing conditions. These O-rings are the things that separated various things of the external fuel tank. And that morning, they realized, hey, these can't function in this weather, and many people said we should call off the launch, but they didn't. They kept the schedule, and at launch, the O-ring seal became so rigid that the seal was breached, and burning fuel began to leak out, igniting the shuttle into what we saw that day. An explosion. 30-year anniversary was just a couple of years ago. And Bob Ebeling was interviewed by NPR. He was the leading engineer on the shuttle. And they were asking about his experience from the day of and what has been the last 30 years been like. I want to just read to you a quote from Bob Ebeling from his recount of the day and since the last 30 years. He said this, I think that was one of the mistakes God made. He shouldn't have picked me for the job. He shouldn't have picked me for the job. For the last 30 years, Bob has been thinking about what happened that day and wondering, could I have changed something? Is there something else I should have done, said something to prevent this from happening, tweak something? It was my fault. And although thousands of letters came in to encourage Bob, He lived in the shadow of grief and disappointment, which we call regret. Regret. Regret is that deep-seated disappointment about a past event that we are powerless to change. We wish we could go back, change a few things here and there, but we cannot. It's paralyzing. It's devastating. I define regret like this in your notes. Regret is the past intruding into the present to intimidate your future. The past coming in, intruding into your present, my present to keep us from moving forward, to intimidate us from the future that we have ahead of us. Now, not all regret is bad. Actually, you should have some regrets in life. It's a pretty harmful thing to be a guiltless person, to never have any remorse. But unhealthy regret is when examination moves into rumination and you wallow in the past forever. It's when introspection becomes preoccupation and you can't seem to move forward from the past because we are paralyzed, held captive to that event, to that person, to that thing from the past. John and um, Don, Dave Ferguson wrote a book, a great book, a Christian book called Starting Over. And in the book, they identify three kinds of regrets. One, they said there are the regrets of action. We feel sorry for what we did. Then there are the regrets of inaction. We feel sorry for what we did not do. And lastly, there is this regret of reaction. where we feel sorry for what was done to us. Things like abuse, rejection, betrayal, parents leaving. And even though we didn't control those moments, it controls us because resentment, anger, bitterness takes deep seats in our soul. And we begin to blame ourselves, assume responsibility for what is not ours. Regret can be a harmful thing. A few characteristics I've learned about regret and just dealing with people and myself is, first of all, that regret rings louder than rewards. If you leave here today and you hear 50 wonderful compliments and great things, but one person says a negative thing, what do you think about the rest of the day? The one negative I know for me and many pastors here, and we always think about the missed opportunity, uh, the, the marriages we couldn't help piece together, the people we couldn't visit, the things we wish we could have done because regret rings louder than rewards. Regret also removes self confidence. We walk around under this dark cloud of how long before they found out or find out, and if they know really who I am, will they still accept me? Will they still like me? Regret removes confidence. I also know this about regret, that it leaks into every relationship. When you'll meet a stranger, and the moment you meet him, you begin to view them through the lens of your regret. It leaks into every relationship. Regret keeps us stuck in the past. We live past-oriented lives, hoping and longing to find a solution from the past to help our present. And the last thing I know about regret is this. Each of us are like the rest of us. Each of us are like the rest of us. I want to prove that to you by doing this little exercise. I want to ask you to stand as I call out a few things if this applies to you. All right? So participate with me so I'm not the only one standing at the end of our few minutes. If you've ever hit reply all to an email that you meant to hit reply one to, go ahead and stand. I'm all. Be honest. If you've ever sent out a draft email that you meant to keep in your draft folder, Go ahead and stand. If you thought somebody hung up on you and you kept talking about them and realized, oh, they're still on the phone. <laughs> all right, confession morning today. <laughs> if you bought something, you can keep standing. I want, if you, if you sit, Don't sit down. Like, I want to sit down before somebody sees me. All right, if you bought something that you had to return or you couldn't return but you wanted to, bought something you didn't need and you regretted buying it, go ahead and stand. All right, all those online shoppers. You saw that social media ad. Oh, I need to get this. <laughs> if you've sent a text message just thinking you were sending it to your spouse, but it went to your boss. Woo. All right, I think everybody's already standing. <laughs> what about this? If you've said something, wish you never said. If you did something, you wish you could have taken back. Or if you didn't say something, you knew you should have said. Wish for a do-over, a reset button. Could go back in in time and, and change a few things, maybe in your parenting, in your marriage. I think everybody in this room is standing. Because the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all blown it. We've messed up. We have done things, said things, didn't do, or didn't say things we wish we said I want you to note that everyone is standing because regret is all of our story. It happens to all of us. And I want to read a passage of scripture as we stand today. Actually, you'll realize that this is the passage that Jared coded in his song as he introduced a new song. And the amazing thing is we had no idea this was this passage that we were going to be speaking on today. So the Holy Spirit wants to say something special Amen. this morning. Pastor Mark talked about 2 Timothy last week. Powerful message on loneliness. If you missed it, go back and watch it. The same Paul who wrote 2 Timothy wrote 1 Timothy towards the end of his life as he's reminiscing and reflecting on his life, on his past. I would love it if you would read this with me. The words are going to be on the screen. So let's read from verse 12 onwards in 1 Timothy. I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of God's ignorance and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. You ought to shout amen to that. Amen? amen. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And you say it again with me. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Thanks for reading that with me this morning. Oftentimes when we think about Paul, we think about the missionary Paul who did great exploits in the world. We think about the Paul that wrote the majority of the New Testament books that we have in our hand. Seldom do we remember that before Paul was a missionary, he was a mass murderer. Before he wrote at least 13 of the New Testament books, he was the greatest threat and nightmare to the Christian church, to the early believers. You hear his name at that time, Saul, and you would f- be afraid. And you would be terrorized because his reputation preceded him over the known world. If anyone had ample reasons to wallow in their regret, it was the Apostle Paul. He should have been paralyzed, crippled by the things of his past because of what he did. Paul hurt and even killed innocent people. Hurt and even killed innocent people. We know that he's responsible for the murder of Stephen. And then In Acts chapter 8, when everyone is mourning over Stephen's death, It says in verse 3 that Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house to house, dragging off men and women and put them in prison. House to house, dragging dads, moms, men and women, throwing them in prison. And we read in Acts 9 verse 1 that now Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Breathing murder. Paul didn't just kill Christians as an opportunity arose or when it was convenient to kill Christians. This was the primary passion of his life, to find any believer, no matter at what cost, put them in prison or kill them. This passion drove him to go to Damascus, 150 miles north of Jerusalem, so he could find Christians to prison and to imprison and to kill. But in that journey, he has a vision of the Lord Jesus, knocks him off of his high horse, falls to the ground, and he is blown away and radically transformed from that moment onwards. But by then, his reputation was already known by everyone. This is the terrorist Paul, or Saul. When he went to the disciples to tell them about his amazing salvation experience, notice how they responded to him. In verse 26 of Acts 9, they said, When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe that he was a disciple. They were so frightened by him that they discredited, discounted his story. Now, before you judge the disciples, if a former ISIS leader called you and said, I'd like to come to your connect group this week, (laughs) you'd be a little scared, hesitant, because this is what I would say. All right, I know you might be saved, but how sanctified are you? (laughs) Like, where are you in your journey? Are you still working things through? Is it safe to be around you? We would do that. Early church did that to Paul. But I want you to think of the story from Paul's vantage point, from his side of the story. Paul, radically changed by Jesus, goes into a house to preach a sermon, to give a sermon to a house church. As he sits In this room, he looks at the eyes of a little boy whose mom he threw in prison and whose dad he killed. He looks over the shoulder of that child and sees a widow because he killed her husband too. He goes into a town to preach the gospel. But the last time he was there, he was dragging men and women, dads and moms, boys and girls, out of that village, out of their home, destroying their life once and for all. He can't go back and change the past. He can't rework some things. He couldn't. Paul had some serious regrets. He had some serious reasons why he should have never moved forward from his past. That was not all for Paul's regrets. Paul gave himself over to sin at times. At times he was overtaken by sin. He gave himself over to sinful choices. Romans 7 is all about Paul saying, I do the things that I don't want to do. And the evil that I hate, I keep on doing. I keep on practicing. Woe is me. What a wretched man I am. Who would deliver me from this body of death? Sin. I define sin like this. It's defined by the middle letter I. I live my life the way I want to live it. I do what I feel like doing. I make my own choices. I am the boss of my life. And this is what I know about my life. And I would imagine for many of us, That most of our regrets have resulted from our own attempts to fulfill our longings apart from God. That's what sin is. To fulfill our desires, our longings, our cravings apart from God and his word. So we feel the desire to be productive. So we find our identity in our jobs and overwork ourselves. We desire to be appreciated, wanted. So we turn to an unhealthy relationship because they validate me. Sin. Sin. Regrets from our own attempts to fulfill our longing. See, I think Paul's past is so relevant to us because even though we might not be breathing out murder, we've wounded people. We've hurt others by our words, by our lack of words, by our actions or lack of actions. We've ran people over, overlooked people, neglected those even closest to us. And we had moments when we too gave in to sinful choices even though we knew better. I'm so thankful that over the New Testament, Paul several times addresses himself as the least of the apostles, the worst of sinners, the chief sinner. That's not an act of self-loathing on Paul's part. But rather, I think what Paul is saying is, if God could save me, he can save anyone. If he could wipe away my guilt, he could wipe away your guilt. If he could wash me clean, remove my regret, he can do the same for you. So how does Paul live out his life free from regret, free from the paralyzation of his past? I think in the text we read today, we find some clues that we can adopt and some steps we can take so that we can be free from what's behind us. Move forward to where God's calling us. What would Paul say to our regrets, to our sin, and to our hurting of other people? I think first of all he would say this, restate your regret. Restate your regret. Now that sounds odd because when it comes to regrets, we're trying to free ourselves from it. We're trying to forget our regrets. Why would you want to restate something? Well, I've discovered that when people have been stuck in regret for so long... They've really forgotten where their regret is even stemming from. They feel the guilt. They feel the weight of shame. But they have a hard time saying, well, this is what happened because everything is blown out of proportion. Everything is exaggerated. People are blamed. I don't even deserve to be blamed. Restate your regrets. See, Paul could have said, well, I had a terrible past that I'm not proud of. But notice what he says in verse 13 of 1 Timothy 1. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. He is naming his regret. He is naming who he was in the past. He does the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He's restating his regret. He is naming it for what it is. Calling a spade a spade. Why? Because... If what we feel guilty for is vague, then what we are forgiven for also will be vague. If what we feel remorseful, guilty, regret about is unclear, confused, and vague, then that which we are forgiven for will also be unclear and vague. But if you can name it, write it down. The next time Satan, the great accuser, comes to you and tells you of your regret, you can just say to him, hey, you've got somebody mistaken because... These are the things that I've been forgiven of. They've been cleared according to my record. Code, so go and check your record. <laughs> Restate your regret. Name it what it is. Second of all, repent for your regret. Repent for your regret. I heard a story about a man named Bob who was in construction, and Bob would bring us lunch every day. So Thursday lunchtime, he sits with his buddies, opens up his lunch, and it's a bologna sandwich. Bob opens up his lunch and says, Oh, a bologna sandwich again? I hate bologna. I can't stand bologna. I had bologna Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and now Thursday, if I get one more bologna sandwich, I'm going to die. I can't stand bologna sandwiches. So his coworker said, Bob, just tell your wife to not pack you a bologna sandwich tomorrow. Bob said, oh, I'm not married. I pack my own lunch. <laughs> <laughs> this might be the most memorable thing you leave here with today, but... Own your baloney. Sometimes we're responsible for our own baloney. In order to release our regret, we have to own our part. We've got to own our role in our story. Whether it's 10%, 2%, 50%, we've got to be able to take responsibility for what is ours. We can't evade the issue. We can't avoid it. We can't blame others for it. We've got to really think about it. What did I do in this situation? Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance. That leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow brings repentance. See, when you are guilty, when you are remorseful or sorrowful, you have one of two choices. You can push the issue aside. You can blame others for it. You can make excuses for it. Or you can own it. And repent for it. To repent for it simply means that you agree with God on what was wrong. You take responsibility. You say, God, I'm sorry. That was wrong. Will you forgive me? You seek forgiveness because you've owned it. You've repented for it. And you seek a new way from then on. Part of our repentance often is to tell someone else about it, to confess it to another person. James 5 verse 16 says that if we confess our sins one to another and pray for one another, then we are healed. We experience freedom and healing. Let me tell you why confession brings healing and freedom. Because the secret you are keeping is really keeping you. The thing you're holding on to so privately and so closely and so tightly is holding on to you and it's eating you up. But there is great healing and freedom in confession, whether it be confessing it to God or confessing it to one another. Because the wound of our regret is relational. The wound of our regret is Relational, we have hurt our own soul. We have offended God. We have hurt others in the process. So in order to come out of the wound of our soul, the relational wound, sometimes we need to gather people we know and trust that will be gracious and truthful to us, that will walk with us through the process of releasing our regret. Now be careful who is on the other side of that confession. Choose your people carefully because sometimes that can do more harm about a story of four guys who formed an accountability group. First guy confessed to an affair. Second guy confessed to drinking too much alcohol. Third guy confessed to embezzling money. and The fourth guy said, my greatest sin is gossip and I can't wait to get out of here. (laughs) Don't choose that guy. But you have connect group members, leaders in your group, ministers on our staff, people in the next step center that will love to speak grace and truth over your life and walk with you through the relational wounds that regret has brought. Restate your regret. Repent for it. And when you give God your confession and you repent for your regret, can I tell you what happens next? We receive mercy and grace. We receive mercy for our past and grace for our future. Mercy for our past and grace for our future. Paul says it in the next verse, in verse in the next verse, in verse 13 and 14, he says, But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed. I love that word in the Greek, it superabounded. It's not even a real word. He's saying it kept coming to me, it kept overflowing into me, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I was the worst of sinners, but I received mercy and grace. Carl Menninger was the leading psychiatrist in the 20th century, and he made a statement that gripped my heart. He said 75% of those in mental health treatment facilities could go home today if they knew how to resolve their guilt. 75% of those that are ill mentally or emotionally could go home today if they could find some way to resolve, find healing for their regret, for their guilt. Friends, we know a way It's called forgiveness. Forgiveness, what does that look like? Forgiveness is to receive mercy for our past and grace for our future. Mercy is God withholding all of the consequences that we deserve for our wrongdoings of the past. And grace is God pouring over our lives and into our lives what we could have never earned, his blessing, his favor, his protection, his presence. Mercy, God withholds what we deserve Grace, he pours and lavishes what we don't deserve. Mercy and grace is found. You give God your confession. You receive mercy. Isaiah 1:18 in the Living Bible says it like this. No matter how deep the stain of your sins are, I can take it out, says God, and make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. Even if you are stained as red as crimson, I can, take, I can make you white as wool. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and wash us from all unrighteousness. The Phillips translation puts it like this, and I love the way they reworded it. If we confess to admit, or if you refuse to admit that we are sinners, then we live in a world of illusion and truth becomes a stranger to us. But if we freely admit then we, that we have sinned, We find God to be utterly reliable, faithful, straightforward, just, utterly reliable. What does he do? To wash us of our sins, to forgive us our sins and make us thoroughly clean from all that is evil. The moment you confess, the moment you repent, God says, I will be utterly faithful. You can bank on it. You can count on it. I will be faithful to wash you clean. But this is a great conundrum. God is far more ready to forgive us than we are ready to forgive ourselves. God is far more willing and excited to forgive us and to let us receive forgiveness than we are to say yes to it, to forgive ourselves. God gives and he gives but we've got a lid That says, I'm not worthy. I can't get through this. I can't receive that kind of forgiveness. Surely he won't forgive me for that. He's more ready to forgive us than we are ready to forgive ourselves. Look, this is one thing I have realized. There are so many Christians who are forgiven, but they are not free. Forgiven, but they are not free. God is forgiven, but they haven't received it. God has let them off the hook, but they keep themselves On the hook of blame, regret, and guilt. My friends, can I tell you this? If you do not forgive yourself for what God has already forgiven you of, then you hold yourself higher than God himself. You hold yourself higher than God himself. What you're saying is, I have a higher standard than God himself. He can forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. I have requirements that are greater than God's requirements. The only way to move from forgiveness to freedom is to receive mercy and grace and apply it to your deepest regrets. To release yourself once God has forgiven you. Restate your regret. Repent for it. Receive mercy and grace, apply it. But there's even more. Allow God to redeem your regrets. By redefining your past. Allow God to redeem. To redeem. To buy back your past. By letting him redefine it. Repurpose it. Notice what Paul says in verse 15 and 16. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them. Verse 16, but I receive mercy for this reason, for this purpose, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life a mind-blowing statement he's saying, "God, let me go through the brokenness of my past." My past was ugly, it was broken, it was vivid, it was dark, it was drudge, it was so bleak. But in the hands of Jesus, my most regretful past has a redemptive purpose. Have a hold of that. In the hands of Jesus, even your most regretful past has a redemptive purpose. Paul is saying, God, let me go so deep into sin. Let me go so deep into my self-destruction so that he could show an unbelieving world how deeper his love was still, how gracious his patience is, how forgiving he is, how loving he is. God takes your negative past and puts a positive purpose, he takes your most regretful moments and redeems it for his great glory so that to a watching world through your story, both past, present, and future, you will be able to display that God's grace is greater than our guilt, that his mercy far supersedes our mistakes, that his forgiveness is greater than our failure. That even in the worst of days, God, can work out a great purpose that only he can. God redefines, repurposes our past to show the world his great love. Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and reaching forward to what is ahead of me. Next week, we're going to talk about the topic of fear, moving forward to the next thing God's calling you to. But Paul is saying, I cannot move forward to the future that God's calling me to unless I forget what is in the past. And by forgetting, he's not talking about some holy amnesia where you recall, where you can't recall the past, where you just wipe it out of your memory. What he's saying is, God has removed the poison of my past, He has healed the wound. All oh, my failures, what he is saying he is like God has redefined it, he has repurposed it. What I used to look back and see guilt and shame, I now look back and see it as a stamp of God's mercy and grace. What used to cover me in self-loathing and self-guilt and shame now covers me with a reason to worship because God takes the war zone of your regrets and uses it as fuel for worship. That's why at the end of the section of his testimony, Paul goes into a doxology. Oh, now to the King, immortal, invisible, immortal, the one God be honor, glory, and power forever and ever. Amen. Because his past has been defined. When he looks back through the rearview mirror, he sees the grace and mercy of God. Allow God to redefine. Your purpose. Look, where God wants to take you to is far greater than where you came from. But you can only get there by letting God redefine your worst of moments. I want you to grab a hold of this as we close today. You are not defined by what you have done wrong. You are defined by what Christ has done right. You and I are not defined by what we have done wrong, but by what Christ has done Right, you cannot overcome your greatest regrets by trying harder, being better, doing more to make up for your past. The only way you can overcome your regret is to fix your gaze on the finished work of Jesus. It's to look to Calvary where for six hours, Jesus Christ hung humiliated before a watching world, taking on himself the fullness of the wrath of God that we deserved because nothing else would take away our guilt and atone for our sins. Nothing else would wipe us clean, but only if the sinless lamb of God, son of God, became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And on Calvary he thinks of you and he thinks of me and he says, it is finished you are forgiven, you are free, the past is over, it doesn't have to paralyze you, it is finished. Just as we agree with God about our sins, we must also agree with God about our forgiveness. Amen. Just as we ag- agree with God about what we did wrong, we must agree with the words of Jesus when he says, it is finished, it is done. Let that word... Ring louder than what you've done. Because when you give your life into the hands of Jesus, when God redeems your life, he doesn't just repair you. He doesn't just present you refurbished, a better version. He makes you new. Amen. All this is gone. And the new he is here. He looks on you on the count of Christ himself. There's a story about little Johnny who went to spend the summer with his grandparents, with his sister Susie. Goes to his grandparents' house and grandpa gave him a slingshot, first slingshot he owned. So they went to the creek down the street and Johnny's practicing all morning. Trying to hit something with a slingshot and hits nothing. Can't hit anything at all. Come back to the house and Johnny just wants to take one more shot. Comes to the porch and he sees his grandma's duck. He said, "Maybe I haven't hit anything all day. I can't hurt to try again. Slings it back and shoots and hits the duck right here. The duck falls over dead. John is thinking, oh, no, what have I done? This is grandma's duck. She's going to be so mad at me. So he takes the dead duck and hides it under a wood pile in the shed to get rid of all the evidence. As Soon as he's done, he washes his hands clean. He looks up and he sees his little sister Susie. And she's seen it all. This is the worst moment. She sees everything. But she doesn't say anything, so they go in to have lunch. And Grandma says, Susie, can you help me with the dishes? And Susie says, Grandma, Johnny really wants to help you with the dishes. (laughs) Don't you, Johnny? He said, yes. And she whispered to him, remember the duck. (laughs) That afternoon, Grandpa said, Johnny, Susie, let's go out fishing. I've got a treat for you. But Grandma said, Grandpa, no, I need Susie to stay back and help with supper. And Susie so says, Oh, Grandma, you didn't hear? Johnny really wants to help you with supper tonight. And she whispered, Remember the duck. This then went on for um, three, four days. Johnny was doing his chores and his sister's chores until he couldn't take it anymore. He was tired of it, sick and tired of it. So he ran to Grandma and said, Grandma, I'm so sorry. That slingshot grandpa gave me, I take a wild shot and I hit your duck. I don't even know how I did it, but I did it. I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me, grandma? I'll never do it again. She said, oh, Johnny, I I know. I was at the kitchen window watching it the whole time. I saw everything you did. And then she said this, but Johnny, because I love you more than I love the duck, I immediately forgave you. But I did wonder how long you were going to allow Susie to make you her slave. <laughs> I wondered how long you were going to make Susie allow Susie to make you her slave. I wonder how long you were going to allow Susie to make you her slave. I wonder how long you were going to let your past make you its slave. That person, make you their slave. That moment, make you their slave. That event, that place, make you their slave. Because in the moment of our confession, God has forgiven us. But many in this room have yet to experience freedom because we hear the accuser saying, remember this, remember that. You can change that in this moment. In the words of C.S. Lewis, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start right now and change the ending. You can start now and change the ending, change the rest of the course of your life. You can rewrite the story for the end. There's a hymn that I hold on to in the moments of my guilt and shame and regret. Before the throne of God, I bow. I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of all the guilt within, upward I look and see him there, the one who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me, to pardon you. I've asked Jared to sing this over us and as you're seated tonight or this morning, you have the grand opportunity by grace and mercy that before you walk out of these doors, you leave your greatest regrets here. So in the next few moments, I just invite you, your your greatest regrets, whatever it might be, how big or how small, restate it, repent for it, receive God's mercy so that you can walk out of here haven't been redeemed, forgiven, and free once and for all. We just let the Holy Spirit minister to you in this moment as Jared sings a few lines.
0: Son of God.
1: Right after this service through these double doors, there's what we call the Next Step Center. You can meet with somebody there and say, hey, can I talk to you? Can I be prayed with? You can join our church there. You can come to know Jesus as your Savior and walk out of our campus today free and forgiven. Make that happen today. Don't wait any longer. Would you bow your heads with me? Hallelujah. Praise the one who's forgiven us of all sin and freed us from our past so that we can move forward into the great and wonderful things that you're calling us to, God. Free at last. I thank you, God, that we stand and we sit here because we have been cleansed and washed, not of our own account or on our own doing, but by the grace and mercy of Christ. So today, God, if there's anyone at the sound of my voice that is far far from you, that has walked away with you, today may it be the day that they come home to knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior, getting a brand new start to their life. So we give you the next moments, God. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.